The opinions expressed on this program are those of the guests and hosts and do not reflect those of WebmasterRadio.fm's management or sponsors. Any rebroadcast or redistribution without authorized consent of WebmasterRadio.fm is prohibited. Business is changing, and new marketing avenues are opening up every day. WebmasterRadio.fm presents a show that brings you the innovators and trendsetters, taking us to a new age of marketing, media, and social business strategy. Welcome to Market Edge with Glenn Engler. Get ready to hear perspectives on social media and digital marketing that will help you gain insight into the unique opportunities and challenges facing marketers and thought leaders today. Now, now, please welcome your host, a Fortune 500 industry figure in the marketing and communications world for more than 25 years and chief executive officer of Digital Influence Group, the host of Market Edge, Glenn Engler. Hi, and welcome to Market Edge. I'm your host, Glenn Engler, CEO of Digital Influence Group, a full-service digital marketing agency that helps companies unlock the social potential of their brands and amplify its impact to drive business results. Today, I'll be talking about shopper marketing and ROR with Ted Rubin, Chief Social Marketing Officer at Collective Bias. Ted is a leading social marketing strategist and coined the term ROR, return on relationship, a concept he believes is the cornerstone for building an engaged multi-million member database, many of whom are vocal advocates for the brand, like the one he built for ELF Cosmetics as CMO between 2008 and 2010, the one being built for Open Sky where Ted served as Chief Social Marketing Officer. In May of 2011, Ted accepted the position of Chief Social Marketing Officer at Collective Bias, a company he has worked closely with for two years since meeting the founder, John Andrews, through the blogging community. Ted is also a social marketing strategist for Mars Advertising and is on the advisory board of Blue Calypso, Open Sky, She Speaks, Zuberance, Tap Tank, and Collective Bias. Many people in the social media world know Ted for his enthusiastic, energetic, and undeniably personal connection to people. Ted is the most followed CMO on Twitter and is one of the deepest networks of any marketer in the social arena. You can connect with Ted on Twitter at twitter.com forward slash Ted Rubin or on his blog at www.tedrubin.com. It's great to have you on Market Edge, Ted. I'm really happy to be here. Okay, so congrats again on continually being listed at the top of the charts by social media uh, marketing. And um, can you talk a little bit about your work with Collective Bias? What are the responsibilities under that fantastic title, Chief Social Marketing Officer? You like that title, don't you? I love it. <laughs> you know, I'll tell you where, where, really where that came from. Is I was a chief, I was a chief marketing officer, and um, I got so enamored of the whole social arena, and it did such amazing things for us at Eyes Up Space, where I, I had an opportunity to really have fun with it, being that I was at a small company with no marketing budget, um, desperately wanted to do things that didn't cost them what media cost them, traditional media, uh, and there was no real legal department like you get at some of the big companies. So mm-hmm. you know, I had friends like Jeffrey Hazley at Kodak at the time and, and Barry Judge at, at Best Buy, and I could try things that, that they just couldn't get through their legal departments or it would just take too long and too much difficulty to get it tried and to see how, let's say, the, 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 the regulatory communities would react to it. So, you know, and I was marketing to women. And I was marketing a, an aspirational product. So that was a lot of fun. But what, what it came to me after that is that I just didn't want to be doing anymore the things that traditional 
market, chief marketing officers do. I, I, I found it very mechanical. I found it very extremely data-driven, and I'm a people person. So, like, the thing is, like, you know, being in charge of, uh, of, of SEO and search and affiliate relationships and, and traditional banner ad buys and all those things just lost interest for me on a day-to-day basis. I'm happy to oversee them or be involved in those kind of discussions and certainly have a lot of knowledge about it. But what I want to do is build relationships. So I adopted the title Chief Social Marketing Officer, and that's what I focus on. So at Collective Bias, you know, what my real overall 10,000-foot job is, or maybe 100,000-foot, is building brand awareness and amplifying the message of Collective Bias, what we're doing, what we're about, the things that we preach when it has to do with relationships and social. And then, of course, it gets down into the nitty-gritty that we all have to deal with are, you know, campaigns and initiatives for clients, um, and then it goes into building relationships with those clients. One of my biggest jobs, or one of the things that the most important collective bias for me to do is to build deep and strong relationships with the marketing heads of companies all around the country. So just to give you an example, and without naming specific names, there are chief marketing officers or divisional heads of marketing at a lot of different companies we work with that will call me up or I'll get an email saying, Ted, i got to talk to you. Um, Collective Bias is, is recommending a program. I want, you know, I want to know what you think about it. And, you know, what I would, in the beginning what I'd write back was, um, you know that I work for those guys, right? <laughs> <laughs> you know, and, and they come back and they go, oh, of course we do. But we, wanna, we know that you'll be straight and honest with us and you'll give us the, the straight talk. And if you think something's not appropriate, you're going to be upfront about that. So I want to be able to discuss, I know you know about the program, but I wanted to be able to discuss what I think about it or problems I think might exist or challenges. And what's really become great and what's been a great value for Collective Bias and, and, and Mart Advertising, who I also um, strategize for and work with them on their social media outreach and building their brand awareness, is that people... I guess they trust me. You know, they feel that I'm authentic, that I'm transparent, that I'll say things. And I mean, again, just recently we had an issue with collective bias and some advice was given to a company that we deal with and, and I was not looped in because I was traveling and they couldn't get through to me and they felt a rush to give an answer. And I think in the social media space, people think that you have to be immediately responsive in order to be considered social. And that's not true. You know, even, and this wasn't even in the social sphere, it was about a social issue. Uh, a social marketing issue, and, you know, you can take a breath. You don't have to answer things right away. You, you can take time to think things through. Yes, we, we can evolve things very quickly and change what we're doing uh, 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 on the spin of a hat at a moment's notice, but that doesn't mean you don't want to go with the tried and true thinking and, and taking time to analyze what you're doing and reaching out to the people within your company that have that expertise. But just to cut to the chase, I didn't agree with the advice given. I called up the CMO. I emailed and said, listen, I don't agree with this advice, and this is why. Uh, and and I, I can't tell you the people in my company were thrilled, but <laughs> what, it, what it does is it builds that real relationship and it builds that credibility. And the people on their end, instead of them losing faith that we weren't together, they were like totally thrilled and impressed that I wouldn't just take the company line, that I would come back. And I explained, look, they wanted to get you an answer. You know, they, they, they couldn't get through to me. But now, now that I see it and I'm available, I'm going to tell you what I really believe. So it's so interesting because there's so many places, and I have certainly undoubtedly at, at uh, places of employment been guilty about coining phrases, and uh, you know everybody sort of rallies around that, and you move on from a business standpoint. But what you're talking about is truly as a 
individual and as a human, let alone um, uh, as a marketer, living your return on relationships premise. Can you talk a little bit about ROR and um, the platform and what you think it is and how you bring it to life? Oh, absolutely. And I'm, I'm glad you asked that because it's something that's kind of really important to me. And I focus on just to get it real simply put, return on relationship is the value that accrues to a person or a brand due to nurturing a relationship. You know, ROI is simple dollars and cents, incredibly easy to measure. ROI is the value that it will accrue over time through loyalty, recommendations, sharing, and goodwill. And, you know, and, and it is measurable because I try to explain to people awareness equals revenues. Differentiators equal margins. Authenticity equals loyalty. And all of these things are measurable. Mm. You know, what people have to remember is that social media drives engagement. Engagement drives loyalty. And loyalty correlates directly to increased sales. So what I like to say is that relationships are the new currency and that we have to honor them and invest in them and start measuring your ROR. And, and these are things that you can look at. And the way it developed was I was at Elf Cosmetics. Uh, I jumped with both feet into the social space in, in early 2008, you know, as Facebook and Twitter were really starting to scale in, into the consumer community. Um, this is a company that was built on um, word-of-mouth marketing. There was no traditional marketing budget. Uh, they, they had kind of hit a wall around $15 million. Uh, social was starting to develop. They didn't get it. Uh, I didn't come in as a social marketing officer. I came in as the chief marketing officer. But I really realized very quickly that the two big values we had was we had a database of women at the time, about six or 700,000, um, that the real key was expanding that and taking that base and growing it much further. By the time I left, it was 2.4 million women. <laughs> uh, was delivering to them valuable content so they felt connected to us. And, then we, and was jumping with both feet to enable us to do this and to, and to set and to you know, work with the database we were building into the social space. And like everybody else, look, I had an advantage. Like I said, I work with a family-owned business. They didn't want to spend money. This was all about manpower, and even that was tough to get them to understand. And so I worked around the clock, as did a lot of the people that work with me, and I guess I still do. <laughs> I don't think social ever sleeps. Yeah. Um, <laughs> well, your Twitter feed certainly never sleeps. It's unbelievable. <laughs> and, I, and I tend to be guilty of that because you, you, it's very hard to turn yourself off. But what happened there is we started executing a lot of programs and doing a lot of things. And even though there wasn't a huge amount of, of investment attached to it, for this company, it was budget because just paying for a few interns, just paying for people to work for me, or, or, or taking away from a director of marketing that was doing that needed help now because she was also helping me with social, it meant a dollar investment for them. So like any other C-suite, they wanted to know, where's the ROI? Right. And I had to come up with some way to explain to them, in the early stages when no one could really do it, you know, where was the value? These guys, you know, the C-suite has gotten very spoiled over the last 10 years. Everything is trackable. I mean, most of them forget how they built their brands in the first place. Brands are built via branding. Google, Yahoo, I don't care who it is, Facebook, they're built by branding. Facebook did an amazing job. They co-opted the word friend. I mean, they've taken the value away from it. I talk about that. They, they got the word like and fan. I mean, these are all words that they owned by building a brand. So what I started talking about was that there's relationship building here, and I came up with the term return on relationship because we had this huge database of women, and we would get emails and phone calls, and as soon as we started getting heavy into the social space, they started communicating with us aggressively. And we could see the return. Things like, you know, forever, Elf was, would, would, if you complained about an Elf delivery, that something was wrong with your product or it came crushed or it wasn't what you wanted, they would always send out an entire new order. The product was $3, $5 cosmetics. It didn't pay to get it returned. They would just send it out. And 
I started saying that via social. And the owners got incredible. They got, oh, my God, you can't tell people that. Everyone will go up and say their order came wrong, and they'll expect another order. And, and, and my belief was people are basically honest. People will take mm. something when you make a mistake. You send them double the amount of products, very few people will call you up and send it back to you. But very few people will lie and cheat to get something for free. It just doesn't happen. Right. And I've got to tell you something, our numbers, what we ended up getting was a huge amount of people loving us and talking about this fact, but our numbers, we, we tracked those numbers, and the amount of orders being resent out didn't increase at all. So you know, in some you, cases, you, it looked like they were decreasing because our total order volume was going up dramatically. You've so done a ton, a ton of work in the... Sh- came from. Um, sorry. You, you've done a ton of work in the shopper marketing space um, with and a lot with women and women bloggers. Um, can you talk a little bit about that area? You, you are actively involved in um, the blogosphere with um, women as consumers and women as bloggers. And I think it would be really interesting to hear your perspective about why that's taken off and, and why the, this ROR message resonates so well. Well, you know, several studies have shown that more women than men use social networking sites, and women spend more time on those sites. And I think this happens for several reasons. First of all, what I like to say is that there is no social without women. Glenn, you and I do not communicate that way. You can hear it right on this call. I talk, you say something. We don't discuss it. We restate what we believe. Men talk about sports. They're never going to convince each other that their team is better than the other team. Women communicate differently. So they, they tend to plan ahead more than men do and care more about saving money than men do. So women are much more likely to do research and comparison shopping for products. Women are more likely to build relationships online than men are. So they're more likely to ask someone in their network for recommendations before they go and purchase. And women, let's face it, women are better at multitasking. And the nature of social media favors people who are skilled at being part of numerous conversations and relationships at once, using multiple social tools and quickly processing, you know, and acting on that information. You know, although there are, there are, of course, exceptions to the rule, women still use social media more for lasting connection and relationship, while men as a whole use it more for information and a few quick connections thrown in. <laughs> so, you know, let, let's talk a little, a little bit about the mom blogger community or, and bloggers in general. You know, moms pride themselves on being savvy consumers. And as great networkers, they want to help others out by sharing their knowledge about brands, about products, services. You know, moms are constantly busy with multiple responsibilities. So they have to learn quickly and accurately sniff out who the poser brands are, and they will share that information. You know, bloggers in general tend to specialize in some area of influence, and they become influential with their readers. But more importantly, what I find in the blogging community and why I think it's truly the power of social, whereas Facebook and Twitter are just merely platforms, is that bloggers build relationships, and they have static content. Mm-hmm. You know, bloggers, they're, they're real people who have real-life experience with brands, you know, products and services, and they blog about it. So that instantly creates a certain level of trust with their readers. And, and mom bloggers also engage with their readers because they genuinely care about connecting and sharing the experiences with each other. You know, trust and engagement are two key components of building strong relationships. Mm-hmm. So in this new relationship-driven economy, you know, bloggers, but especially mom bloggers, they're golden to brands. So can you give an uh, example of a brand that you've worked with engaging mom bloggers just for our listeners to take it to the next level? Because I know you got it captivated right now. You know, we, 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 work with a, we work with a lot of brands. I mean, me personally, I, 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 I did a huge amount of this with Elf. 
I mean, that was really, a, you know, a big part of, of what we did at ELF and how things evolved. So, you know, what I did was I reached out very aggressively to the blogger community. I, I believe I pioneered a, a program that utilized blogger relationships that can exponentially increase and sustain ELF brand visibility. And, and what I did was is that I went out and met them. I, I reached out originally via social. I went to their events. I mean, back before I had, now I go to the events and I, I keep adding to it. And I know more people, but I believe that as strong as social can be using these tools and these platforms we have, you still have to meet people face-to-face. So mm-hmm. I reached out. I started sending out product. I, I didn't ask for anything in return. Uh, I didn't even ask for them to review it. I just said, hey, I got some great product. You should try it. And then where we really launched this whole relationship at ELF was we started something called uh, Makeup at Home. And instead of us being a Makeup at Home party like a lot of the brands do where they want to sell product, whether it's Bobby Brown or Mary Kay or any mm-hmm. kind of, or Avon, we just wanted them to try the product, take pictures of each other, make videos, and share it. And we didn't even really have to ask them to do that. That's what they do. <laughs> so I, I quickly realized that these women would start every time after we did some kind of an event or, or, or a show or a makeup at home party, they would continue reaching out to me. And what I was seeing out there was that the agencies, because they're not built for it, would never keep communicating with them. They'd reach out to a blogger. They'd want an initiative or a campaign. They'd do what they're supposed to do. The blogger would write them the next week saying, hey, how are you? What's going on? And nobody would respond to them because there's no way to build it through to a client. And agency DNA is all about building things through to clients. Mm. So w- w- what I did, and I did it at Elf, I did it at, at Open Sky, was all about bloggers and a big community that we reached out to before the model changed and they shifted to a Groupon kind of course between Groupon guilt and, and celebrities, was we were building a platform that would enable bloggers to sell products from their website. So we were out there reaching out to the blogging community, and I got to tell you, we got 3,000 bloggers to write articles about what, to write blog posts about what we were doing at, at Open Sky. 3,000. And nobody's done that in the brand world. Now, granted, it was about something that was, was geared towards something for them, but right. it was still about building those relationships. Now it's collective bias. And the reason I joined collective bias, well, one of the reasons, besides John Andrews and, and the fact that he is totally a thought leader and, and a visionary in the space, it, John built the 11 Moms program at Walmart, which was the start of a lot of this, yep. um, is because collective bias doesn't operate like, an, like a traditional agency. Collective bias is really built to be, in the long run, a media business. And what they do is they understand the value of building. They're all about building relationships with the bloggers. That is what all the budgets are for. Yep. Because the bloggers are what power everything we do. So, you know, we've done work for Glidden, Elmer's, um, Kraft. Uh, we've done a lot of work for Sears. I mean, I could go on and on. Nestle, Hershey's, um, a huge amount of big brands. And then we've also helped launch smaller brands. The Crystal, uh, we work with Cookies Kids, Smarties Candies. Uh, we're now working with Meredith, Meredith Publishing, Dwayne Reed. We work with retailers. We work with, with CPG companies. We work with anybody that has what we call, or what the shopper mark business calls, path to purchase. Yep. So why is so compelling, so spot on, so relevant, so impossible to ignore? Why do you think that uh, there are still an awful lot of the C-suite at different brands, some absolutely leading innovative brands that are not um, voraciously embracing this uh, concept that you're talking about? Uh, now, what's, okay, 
you're talking about social in general or using social for what the real value is? Uh, the whole idea to... of activating bloggers and your, your example that you said where agencies would reach out to a, a blog once uh, or a blog writer once and then sort of leave and you said they're not set up that way. Um, and we certainly have had a lot of success with certain brands, but there's still an incredible number that think of it as a campaign-based mindset as opposed to truly engaging to activate relationships the way you're talking about. And I'm curious what your perspective is as to why. My perspective is that everything new takes time to be to, to have an uptake. I mean, think about digital back in 97. Everybody was just publishing. They were taking their magazine re, and just putting it online. Yep. They, they, they were trying They try to make the way you buy media online exactly like you bought media online. Yep. So yep. CPM changed something. I mean, I can't tell you that, that what I went through in 97, 98 at Yoyodyne with Seth Godin, when we were selling, we were the first company to ever sell a click-through trying to explain to an agency <laughs> what a click-through was. It was a room full of smart people. And at the yep. end of, of detailed screenshots showing the process on a computer, they'd say, so what's the CPM? Right. And you'd look at them like, there is no CPM. You're only paying for a click. And, and, and the, the ability for these people to look beyond their box because of the way they're structured, and corporations, agencies are all the same. They have a way of doing things. They try to commercialize that and make it simple. It's like our education system. It hasn't evolved for, for 200 years because everybody wants everything to be in a box and to be simple. So what are they right. looking at? Most of these companies are now, now, now that they finally think they're jumping on the social bandwagon, what they're doing is they're just like you, and you perfectly said, they're using it as another tool in the marketer's toolbox yep. instead of really taking it and using it for what the value is, which is building relationships, building an emotional connection getting close to their consumers, doing research, hearing from them, learning from these people, letting them, building brand equity by listening and being transparent. Now, let me give you a perfect example. JetBlue is doing an amazing job. And JetBlue rarely, if ever, and they probably have, but I haven't seen it, they do very little with campaign initiative-based um, uh, um, social. And if you ever hear Morgan Johnson talk science, they'll say, so did you see our latest TV commercial? And, and, and someone will raise their hand and go, I don't think so, because we don't do them. They don't do any of that traditional type of advertising yep. or limited. What right. they do is they put an enormous budget into building relationships with their consumers. And, you know, they had some problems a few years ago, and they jumped into this space. And what they're doing now is they're building brand equity. So I'll tell you a quick story. Um, in 2009, going and let me interrupt you for one second. We're going to take a quick break, and then we're going to come back, and I, everybody's going to listen with bated breath to the JetBlue story. Um, hold on. We're going to take a very quick, short commercial break. Stand by. We'll be right back with Ted Rubin to hear the end of the story and more of the conversation. Market Edge will return in just a moment. As you know, being an expert at f <gasps> What did she say? Requires lots of practice and a great tool. Think you could use some help with f Whoa! You're not alone. Hundreds have used our tool to take their f performance to the next level the language of course we're talking about managing facebook ads on a quizio oh buy track manage optimize and report on media across all major ad networks visit aquizio.com to get a demo today aquizio search social display one platform looking for a white label seo and social platform for your clients think ebrand 
Brands. Free and unlimited SEO audit reports. eBrands. Premium Facebook apps and welcome page creators. eBrands. Twitter management app, analytics, and mobile site generators. eBrands. Let eBrands manage your search and social media campaigns and give you and your clients access to their white label dashboard, which have great reports that will wow your clients and deliver great ROI and results. Try eBrands for 30 days. Go to eBrandsWithAZ.com or call 1-866-625-5717. That's eBrandsWithAZ for eBrands. From the creators of We Build Pages, experience the power of the Internet Marketing Ninja. An exclusively trained army of nearly 100 in-house ninjas. Mastered in the arts of social media, local marketing, content creation, SEO reporting, and yes, link building. The Internet Marketing Ninjas will release a new version of their legendary tools to the public. Visit imninjas.com. The ninjas are coming. search engine and put your servers into overdrive. It's webmasterradio.fm steering you into the winner's circle. Webmasterradio.fm. We're everywhere. We're back with more Market Edge, bringing you the best and brightest voices in digital marketing, only on webmasterradio.fm. Once again, here's Glenn Engler. Welcome back to Market Edge. This is your host, Glenn Engler, and I'm here today with Ted Rubin, Chief Social Marketing Officer at Collective Bias, talking about shopper marketing and ROR and JetBlue as an example. Okay, take it away. Continue so just, the story. I, I know we have limited time, so I will try to make this quick, but I'm on one of the planes that gets stuck on the runway. Um, about two hours in, I finally take out my laptop. I start tweeting, you know, at JetBlue. I'm a big fan, but what's going on today? Uh, within a minute... I had a response from JetBlue. Hi, what, you know, what's going on? I said, I'm on, the, I'm on the flight to Austin. I've been sitting on the runway forever. Within three to five minutes, they would explain to me what was going on. Now, first they started the way you would normally start, with a quick, basic answer, and I pushed I wanted more. So I quickly found out that the reason we were stuck is our bags were stuck on another flight. Our, our bags were on a flight to New Orleans, I believe. The New Orleans bags were on our flight. So being a guy that doesn't get the logistics of the airline business, it's so go get them, look over Bring the bags over and put them on the plane. <laughs> you know, they didn't just come back and say, no, we can't do that or ignore me. They started explaining to me the logistics of having that done in very basic points, just about unions and about crews and about the airlines. And, but meanwhile, I'm able to tell everybody in the plane who could not get any information from the flight crew, we're stuck because of this is what's going on. JetBlue kept me updated. They, they, they told me basically when we'd be ready to take off. So I started having some fun with them at this point. And I said, listen, we're all going to miss our parties at, 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 at South by Southwest tonight. How about free drinks? <laughs> so they first come back with FAA regulations, and then I push a little harder, and we have a little fun going back and forth. I'm like, come on, free drinks for everybody. And finally they come back and go, look, we can't do free drinks, but we'll give you free movies. So I tell everybody in the plane, number one, JetBlue makes me a hero. Number two, all these people here on the plane, that they're communicating with me via social. I, I land in, in, in Austin. The first thing I do, because they don't have wireless on board, is take out my BlackBerry at the time, back when people used Blackberries. And um, I tweeted out, you know, kudos to JetBlue. They couldn't solve my problem, but they engaged me. You know, now, now companies like JetBlue, airlines, they're not going to fix your problems. They're not going to take off because 150 people complain on a flight. So two months later, 
I'm on a panel at the CMO Club, 100 CMOs in the audience, all sizes of companies, from major Fortune 500 brands to, to smaller. And I'm on the panel with Jamie Punishell from Citibank at the time and Morgan Johnson from JetBlue. Just met him. Of course, he mentioned my issue. We start talking. Jeff Ross from Exact Target is moderating. So we get into the subject of I'm in a cosmetics company. It's aspirational. It's easy. It's fun. I'm dealing with women and the challenges that Citibank and JetBlue have because of mostly complaints coming via social. And I look over at, at Morgan Johnson and I said, you know, I got to give you kudos. And I didn't even get the rest of it out. He starts pointing his finger at me, shaking it, saying, oh, my God. You're the drinks guy. <laughs> I'm like, and I'm looking at him. He goes, you're the guy with the drinks. He goes, you're at Ted Rubin. And I'm like, yeah. And then I'm looking at him in this, with the same astonishment, saying, oh, my God, you knew about that? Now, they did. Why? Because they, they flagged the flight, number one, because it was going to a social media event. Number two is they were listening. Number three, they saw who I was, and they immediately looked up who I was, saw what I did for a living, saw how many followers I have. They looked at my audience, and it got escalated to a guy who could handle the situation better than possibly a basic employee. Yeah. And, and now, two and a half years later, they have evolved incredibly. They've got a huge department. They speak every day. They share information. They're ne again, they're not going to solve your problem, but they're going to engage and talk to you. Right. And Citibank experienced a lot of the same things. And just to end the story quickly, as may most of you might know, JetBlue had an issue at Bradley Airport in Hartford just a few weeks ago. Mm -hmm. And this time, there was an issue with, with, the, uh, with the Department of Transportation and the FAA, and they told them they couldn't talk about it. So they couldn't be transparent. They had to put people off. But you know what? If you notice, there was no uproar in social because they had built the credibility. Yeah. They had the social cred that everybody knew these guys are upfront and straight and transparent and authentic. We can give them a break this time. If you wait till the problem occurs, Chapstick, for instance, you know, or Pfizer and what happened there. Now, are they learning from that? Are they building their social presence? Maybe. I'm not so sure because, like you said, it's, it's getting adopted slowly. Right. Because also, corporations are, are, are desperate, as are agencies, not to lose control. They right. still want to control the message. Major corporations still deal with PR companies in a big way, as they should, because I'm a big believer that traditional PR still has lots of value, yep. but it has its most value if you integrate it with social, because then it lives on forever. But the PR people are so used to the basic tenets of PR, control the message, less is more. And those go in complete opposite direction of what social is all about. Uh, it's a fantastic example. Uh, Marty St. George from JetBlue, if you're listening, there's a good shout-out for you. Um, so quick question. You, you just wrote uh, a couple of your blog posts are great. I'm a voracious reader, as I'm sure many of the listeners are. Um, talk a little bit about uh, your post on clout when they changed their algorithm back uh, six, eight weeks ago. Um, and your point of view was really interesting about uh, clout and how people react and um, those that are clout score watchers or not. Share a little bit about your perspective. Okay, well, first I have to tell you right up front, I'm going to have another post going up tomorrow. Okay. That changes my perspective a bit. So, uh, after what happened this weekend with clout, I don't know if yep. you're aware of it. <laughs> um, uh, but my perspective is, and, and it still remains this way, is that if something, if, if, if any tool is being taken seriously by a community that you have to deal with, now, that can be your hometown community in, in regular life, or that can be the brands and corporations that are out there buying your services as either a product or, a, or an agency. And you have to pay attention to it. So my basic contention with clout is, do I really care how clout scores me? No. 
Should most people really clear, care about how a company like Clout says whether they have value or not? No, they should produce their own value, and then let pe- then people will know about it. But if you're trying to sell your services to the to the to the corporate marketing community, and they are using Clout or 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 Parindex uh, uh, or any of the others, and that's their main thing, then you have to pay attention. Now, what Clout has really done is they've done an amazing job of marketing their product. Yep. The big the biggest problem and conflict they have is that Cloud is not a measurement company. Cloud is an agency. Cloud is a marketing business. Cloud does not earn one dollar of revenue, and I might be wrong, and maybe they earn a dollar, <laughs> selling measurement services. <laughs> cloud needs, in my opinion, and this will be part of my post tomorrow, is Cloud needs to be bought by a real measurement company. They need to be bought by a web trend, by a Nielsen, by someone that has the cred to say, we're not selling you marketing. We're selling you uh, we're selling you we're selling you um, a measurement, and you can trust us because that's all we're doing. But you know, everybody questions cloud mo- cloud's motives. Now, first, you know, this article was written after cloud initially changed their algorithm and said, "Oh my God, we fixed things. It's going to be better. I know your scores went down." And my basic contention was, "Hey, if everybody's score went down, who cares? It just occurred." So, like, when I saw my score go down a couple of months ago when this happened, the first thing I did was look at people who I think of in the space that are either comparable or even above me, you know, the Chris Brogans of the world, the Peter Shankman, Liz Strauss, Jeff Pulvers, and all of their scores had adjusted in just the same way. But what's happened now over the past few weeks, and I recently on Facebook posted how my cloud score has changed day to day over the last two weeks, it, it's like a roller coaster. How can that be trustworthy? How can a corporation even value it? I've even heard stories of bloggers getting calls from, from brands saying, hey, I hired you because you had a 60 cloud score. Now you have a 40. And then the next day, it's up to 62. Yeah. And, well, know, well explanation the was that they had a little glitch this weekend. But that, that, plus also, cloud doesn't, they're not a social company. This happens a lot. You're in the social business. But then you try to hide from questions. You don't get social. You don't engage and interact with your, with, with your followers. And what they do is they put out press releases. That's what they do. This is what happened. It's fixed now. Well, guess what? It's not fixed because things are still changing every day. So, you know, what I wrote back then was a little bit more supportive of clout uh, and, and the fact that I kind of thought, and I still do, that part of the thinking between changing things is, is, is a marketing because it gets your name in the papers, it gets people talking about you when things have quieted down. And that's where my line was, you know, are, are they crazy like a fox? Uh, you know, and, and, and is that where that came from? But now I'm starting to believe that they, I think they were a little bit happy with themselves and all that stuff that created, and, and now they're messing with the algorithms every day. Or they just don't understand it. Like they've got this stuff and they just don't really know how best to market it. And then they've got this major problem within the company that they – they only earn revenue by selling marketing services. Therefore, you know, they're rating people the way they need them to be rated. Interesting. Okay, so we're coming to the home stretch here, and I know this is going to be hard given, given you and your passion around it, but quick one-word association. I'm going to give you a couple of names. I'm curious your perspective. You can go a little more than one word if you want, um, but I'm really curious given your vantage point. Here we go. Groupon. Oh, Groupon's scary. Groupon is a totally understandable business that cannot possibly survive with with their current business model. Oof, good. You four cannot, square. You cannot make money selling at a loss and making it up fine. Okay, four square. Four square. Um, I'm not sure exactly where they're going to go. 
I believe that location-based services are going to make a major, major shift yep. um, and become very, very important this coming year. Um, okay. I, I think that something, I think Foursquare is a leader in that space. I think, you know, Gowala just got acquired by, um, um, Facebook. By, uh, by, by Facebook. Yep. You know, and I think that I, I believe LDS is finally ready for a breakout, you know, as the value for consumers becomes apparent. Uh, you Completely have to realize agree. that it, it, it's so valuable to the retail and shopping experience. And, and I really believe it can and will have a dramatic effect on sales now that companies are looking towards making it reactive instead of proactive. Right. And making auto, you know, automatic check-ins. And I also believe that the, inter, the innovators who are most willing to take the technology beyond its current limitations and add storytelling capabilities to drive value, build relationships, and the ever-important emotional connection, they're going to be the winners by creating a shopper tool that powers insights and connection directly to the shelf. Oof, so much good stuff, so much more to ask. Going to have to bring you back for a part two later on. But we're at the end of the time, and I want to thank everybody in the audience for listening to today's conversation, and thank you, Ted, for being my guest today. If you have any questions or would like to talk further about the topic of today's show, feel free to connect with me on Twitter at twitter.com forward slash Glenn Engler or on my blog, www.glennengler.com, and visit www.webmasterradio.fm at 12 noon Eastern time on Tuesdays to tune into episodes of Market Edge. Thanks, Ted, and thanks, everybody.